Mark chapter 4, he began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus spends a majority of his time here at the Sea of Galilee, teaching the crowds that gathered around. You see, they came all from around the region to hear Jesus teach. And the Bible actually says a very large crowd gathered. We don't know exactly how big of a crowd this was. We can assume thousands of people. And this crowd presented a unique problem for Jesus. Because remember, in this culture, in this context, Jesus didn't have a microphone and speakers to project his voice. He had to come up with a solution to speak to the masses that gathered to hear him teach. Mark chapter 4 says, He got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. So Jesus comes up with this brilliant solution. He gets into a boat and he drifts just off the shoreline and he allows the Sea of Galilee to project his voice to the crowd. They were probably sitting along the shoreline, hanging on every word that Jesus spoke. Because Jesus was a unique rabbi or teacher. He communicated differently than any other rabbi in the region because he told stories. He told parables that were relatable to their life and their circumstances and situations. And it made his point come alive. It made these people understand what he was saying and apply it to their daily lives. And so Jesus spends the majority of his time teaching the crowds that day. And evening draws near, Jesus is exhausted. And so he tells his disciples to do something. Verse 35, it says, that day when evening came, He said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. So he tells his disciples to sail to the other side. And as they were on their journey to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they had no clue what was about to happen next. Verse 37 says, A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So as they're journeying to the other side of the sea, the Bible says that this violent storm begins to rage. A furious squall starts. Now you might ask the question, why were there storms in such a small sea? We have to understand that this sea is situated between two mountain ranges. And when the cold air would hit the warm water, it would create these violent storms, these raging squalls. And remember, the disciples and Jesus aren't in a giant cruise liner. They're in a tiny wooden canoe. In fact, this boat was not designed to deal with the punishment of a storm like this. And so as this squall starts, we see two reactions in the midst of this storm. The first one was the disciples. And what do they do? They panic. They're full of fear. I mean, you can almost imagine the scene being on a boat, a tiny boat in the midst of a storm. They begin to panic. They begin to fear for their lives, grabbing water in in buckets or their hands and trying to throw it out so they don't sink. I mean, they're fearful for their life. And remember, these are fishermen. 
These are guys who probably grew up nearby or in on the sea. And, and so they had seen the evidence of a storm like this. In fact, they probably had lost close friends to this very sea in a storm just like this. And so their fear was justified. They knew the damage that a squall like this could bring. And yet I think probably all of us can relate to the disciples. Because isn't this exactly what we do in the midst of our storms in life? When the unexpected happens, what do we often do? We panic and we become afraid. When the storms in our lives rage, we feel the exact same way the disciples did, full of fear and afraid. And here's what I know about my fear and your fear, is our fear gets out of hand when our situation is out of our hands. It's really about control. We like to be able to control our own life and our own circumstances. And when we lose that control, when the disciples lost the control, they couldn't control the sea and the, the storm and the waves and the winds, what did they do? They panicked, much like I do and much like you do in the midst of our storms. And here's what our fear does, is our fear displays a lack of faith. Our fear says to God, hey, I don't really trust your plans and the circumstances that you put me in. And our fear really displays a lack of faith. But yet, in the midst of this story, there's a second reaction. Because to make matters worse for the disciples, as they were dealing with this violent storm, they look to the back of the boat and they see Jesus. And look what it says. It says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. I mean, can you imagine what the disciples must have been feeling when they saw their leader in the back of the boat in the midst of a violent storm sleeping? Now, I don't know about you, but man, Jesus, I would love to have that spiritual gift, like to sleep in all circumstances, like when my kids are going crazy, to be able to sleep through that storm. But in all seriousness, guys, I think when the storms of our life actually happen, when circumstances come that we don't expect or can't plan for that are painful, Shouldn't we be like Jesus and be able to actually rest in the midst of that storm? So they wake up Jesus in the midst of the storm. The disciples shake him and they, they, this is what they say. It says, the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? A, a pretty obvious question for the disciples. Like, Jesus, why are you sleeping? Don't you understand what's going on? Like you're soaked from the storm, Jesus. And don't you care that we're about to die in the midst of this sea? Like I thought you had bigger things planned for us, Jesus. Like don't you care about our lives? And yet, isn't that the same question we ask God in the midst of our storms? Like God, can't you see me anymore? God, don't you know what I'm going through? God, the storm of my life is raging. I don't know what to do. And don't you even care about me anymore? So we relate so well to the disciples because we basically ask the same question that they did. But yet when we zoom in on Jesus, you know what we see? We see unfiltered faith. And I actually believe Jesus' response to the storm is actually the same response that you and I should have in the midst of the storms of life. In fact, look what the Bible says, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding and all circumstances and all storms in your life, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
You see, what Philippians says is that we should be able to have peace or rest in the midst of the violent circumstances of life. And we see that in Jesus in this story. And what Jesus' example does is it, it shows us something about him. It shows us his trust in his Father. You see, Jesus trusted in his Father's plan more than any circumstance that he would face. You see, for Jesus, this storm wasn't that big of a deal because if this storm would take his life, it was his Father's plan and he was fully committed to that. And yet how much are we committed to God's plans in our life that we would be able to actually, if we fully trusted God and had unfiltered faith in his plan for our life, we would actually be able to sleep in the storm, to rest, have peace in the chaos of life. And so his disciples wake him up. Why don't you care, Jesus? And look what he does, verse 39. It says, he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet. Be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Yet again, we see Jesus perform a miracle. He stands up and he speaks directly to the storm and he says three words that cease everything. Quiet and be still. And what's interesting about these words, they're actually used in the gospels and other places where Jesus rebuked demons out of people. And many scholars believe that Jesus wasn't talking to nature, he was actually talking to his enemy, the devil, because a lot of scholars believe this storm was a tactic, a scheme for the enemy to take Jesus out. And he rebukes his enemy and he says, quiet, be still, because my faith is in my Father. And so he calms the seas. You can imagine the disciples are in awe. Jesus can control the waves and the sea and the storms of life. And look what he says to them, verse 40, it says, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I think Jesus' words are really penetrating to my heart and your heart, because I don't know what you're going through, but I would bet money that many of you right now are dealing with a storm in life. And you might even be asking those same questions. God, do you care about me? Or many of you, you have no clue, but the unexpected is coming in your life. That storm or that squall is about ready to hit. And maybe that question Jesus asked his disciples, he's asking you today. Why are you so afraid? Do you still not trust in my dad's plans for your lives? Do you still not have faith? You see, what we see in Jesus in this story is hopefully what he'll see in us as we mature as believers. That in the midst of any circumstances, in the midst of any storm, we can have faith that is unfiltered.
you know, when it comes to the storms in life, no one can really predict or plan when they are going to hit or how big they will actually be. And I, I feel like if we're ever going to understand this lesson, it's right now. Because no one planned in our country or in our community or in our city that a virus would be spreading, spreading rapidly and killing people. It was unplanned and unpredicted. And that's how the storms of our lives are. None of us, we don't have the ability or the capacity to plan for them or predict their coming. They just happen. And you know, as I watched this footage, it was actually really surreal for me. Because we shot these videos a little bit over a month ago. And little did I know when I was standing in that boat, writing that message, that God was actually going to speak directly to me. Because six days later, just six days after I stood in that boat and I spoke that message, a storm would hit my family. Because six days later, we would lose, I would lose my dad to a sudden heart attack. And the reality is for all of us, is we just don't know when the storms of life are going to hit. As hard as we try and as good as we are at planning at life, we just don't know when they're going to come. But yet what we see in this story is what God expects and wants and desires from us when those storms crash over our lives. It's a word that, man, if you grew up in church, you have probably heard on a regular basis. In fact, if you didn't grow up in church, you probably still have heard this word. It's called faith. And the Bible actually gives us a definition of what faith is. Hebrews chapter 11, it's known as the, the faith chapter. And the author says this, he says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You see, the author of Hebrews actually gives us two words, very similar words to show us what faith truly is. He says, faith is confidence and it's assurance. It's this confidence I have in God that I, he's going to come through in the things that I hope and desire for. And it's an assurance that even if I don't see God working, I'm positive that he is. You see, because faith is confidence. Faith is assurance in who my God is and what he's capable of. And the author of Hebrews kind of defines what, what faith is, but yet in this story, the story where Jesus and the disciples would face a storm of their own, we, we see three unique things about faith. Three things that will encourage us, but yet challenge us. Things that we'll have to think through and marinate on. And the first one is this. We see in this story that the people closest to Jesus struggled with faith. Man, how, how crazy is that? That the people, the disciples who had they were best friends with Jesus. They still struggled with faith. And what that does is, I don't know if it does for you, but it encourages me. Because all along our, our journey of life, there are times, even as a pastor, where we have doubts, where we have uncertainty in God. I would bet probably right now, some of you watching online, you feel that way right now. Right, because all that's going on in our communities, in our country, you probably have questions for God, doubts in God, uncertainty. And guess who also had that? It was the disciples. Now, now remember who the disciples are. These are guys who had a backstage pass to Jesus' life. They were VIPs. They got to see the Jesus that really not a lot of people got to see. 
They walked with Jesus. They hung out with Jesus on a regular basis. They got to see him perform miracle after miracle. They had to recognize that Jesus wasn't an ordinary man. But yet, even seeing all of that, they still struggled with faith. They had doubts. And what that says to me and what it should say to you in the midst of your doubts and your uncertainties is that God is not afraid of them. God's not nervous about your doubts. God isn't shocked by your, uh, your questions. In fact, what I've noticed in my life and so many other people's lives is God often uses our doubts to actually grow our faith. That's exactly what he's going to do in this story with his disciples. In the midst of their doubts and their uncertainties, in the midst of the storm that caused fear in their life, God would actually grow and stretch their faith. And the first thing we see in this story is even the people closest to Jesus struggled with faith. But the second thing that we see in this story is is a word that is not often related to faith. It's the word humility. You see, faith requires humility, and humility seeks help. Now, I would bet when, when, you, when you think of the word faith, I would doubt that humility, you often kind of tether that with faith, but it's so true that faith requires us to humble ourselves. And we see it in the story. The disciples are journeying to the other side with Jesus, and all of a sudden, this furious squall, this storm hits, and what is the disciples' first reaction? It's to fix the problem, right? They, they were fishermen, I mean, they, they had grew up near the Sea of Galilee. They, they, they had been on boats. They've probably seen a storm like this that they had survived. And so their first initial reaction is, hey, I can handle this. I've got this. Like, I've done this before. No, no need to ask for help. And, and, and the last thing they were thinking was that they would actually look to a carpenter, Jesus, for help on the sea because they were fishermen. But yet it wasn't until they figured out that the storm was too big. The waves were too mighty and they realized that they were gonna drown if they didn't ask for help. And right here, God humbles them because they realized they couldn't be the solution to this storm. And guess what they do? They turn and ask Jesus for help. And I get this because if, if I'm raw and I'm honest, I don't really like to ask for help. I actually like to be the guy who helps others. I feel like that, as a pastor, that's my calling. That's what God asks me to do, is to be there for people, to, to shepherd people, to love people. And I don't really like, if, if I'm completely honest, my pride doesn't want to ask for help. That's why this season of my life has been really difficult. Because when I lost my dad, I, I realized that, man, I, I couldn't do it on my own, that I couldn't help myself, that I couldn't be the solution to the problem, and I had to learn to lean and rely on others. And the disciples are here, and they figure out they, they can't be the solution to the storm, and so they go to Jesus. And, and we see faith, it requires humility out of us. It, it, it lowers us down. And, man, I don't like to ask for help, and I would bet probably some of you watching online, you're just like me. You don't like to ask for help. In fact, we often ask for help way too late. I've seen this in ministry over a decade of serving in, in full-time ministry. That's just kind of how, who we are as people. Right? We, we, we don't like others to know our business, and especially when things aren't going good, and we wait way too long to ask for help. We do this, we do this in our marriage, right? Instead of when the problems arise, we, we seek counseling. We often wait until the divorce papers are almost signed, and that's when we go to get counseling. 
Or we do it with our finances, right? Like instead of when we don't understand finances and, and, and asking for financial guidance, no, we wait till our credit cards are fully maxed. We can't pay our bills. Then that's when we go ask for help. Or with our kids, right? Instead of when they're young and pliable, no, we wait till they're 16 or 18 years old, rebellious, won't listen to us, and then that's when we seek parental guidance. And you see, for many of us, we're just like the disciples. We try to be the solution to our storm. We try to be the solution to our problem, and it's not until we realize that we can't fix it, we're not strong enough, that's when we reach out for help. And I actually believe this is why many of us struggle with the gospel. I think this is why maybe you watching online who has doubts in God, you're not sure about Jesus. I think one of the major reasons why people struggle with the gospel is because it's a very humbling experience. Because at the core of the gospel, when we choose to believe in Jesus's work on the cross on our behalf, what it requires of us is faith and faith is tethered with humility. Because at the gospel, you have to realize that you are so wretched and your sin is so strong that you can't actually fix that problem. That you can try to be good enough or be moral enough, but yet it won't measure up enough to fix the weight of your sin. And when you understand the gospel fully, it's you recognizing and it's you lowering yourself in humility and reaching out for help to a God who died in your place, who paid your penalty and defeated your sin through the resurrection to give you hope. And many of you today, you struggle with the gospel because you're not willing to humble yourself to recognize that you can't be the solution to your sin problem. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because faith requires humility, and humility seeks help. But the third thing we see about faith in this story is that faith is a journey of discovering who God truly is. Faith is, is not just a, a moment decision. You see, I think when it comes to faith, one thing we have is, is bad theology when it comes to this concept of faith. Because many of us believe, man, faith is a one-time decision. When I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I just gain everything there is with faith. But really, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you just begin the journey of discovering and understanding what faith is and what it looks like. You see, faith is, is not, a, it doesn't come in a moment. Faith is a, it's a day by day, hour by hour decision. And what will actually build your faith today, man, if we ever needed our faith built, it might be in the circumstances we're facing right now. And if you as a Christian wanna build your faith and your trust in God, you know how you do that? It's by getting an accurate and a proper understanding of who God is. That's exactly what's happening to the disciples in this story. The storm is raging, they're afraid, they panic, and they can't fix the problem. So they go to Jesus. Jesus wakes up, wakes up from this sleep, and he says to the storm to be quiet, to be still. And the disciples are probably amazed at this miracle. In fact, look what they say in Matthew chapter 8. It says this, who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? You see, what's happening to the disciples right here is they're getting a proper understanding of who Jesus is. It's setting into their minds and their hearts, this truly is the Son of God. And what's happening for them is their faith is growing. 
In the midst of their doubts and their uncertainty and their fear, God shows them a proper glimpse, an accurate understanding of who he is, and their faith begins to explode. So you know what I would ask you this morning? I would ask you today, in the midst of our present circumstances, our storm, being quarantined, probably some of you are afraid, you're fearful, some of you might be panicking, not knowing what's next in our country, in our community, in our city, I would ask you in the midst of all that, what is filtering your faith? What is getting in the way of you truly trusting and having your confidence and assurance and what God is capable of? Maybe, maybe I ask it a little bit differently. Maybe I ask it like this, what, what limits are you placing on God's capacity to come through in your present situation? What limitations are you placing on God's ability and his strength and his might to fix the problem or the storm that you're walking through? Because I think many of us do this. When the storm rages in our life, when, when things come that we don't plan for, that we can't predict, here's what we often say, man, how in the world is God going to fix this? This just seems too big, it's too far gone, it's too strong, it's too hard, my circumstances are too big for God. In fact, let's press in just a little bit more. You see, maybe some of you are saying these exact words, you're saying, you know what, maybe my cancer is spreading too fast for God. Or maybe you're saying my marriage is just too far gone. My debt is too unmanageable. My kids are too rebellious. My sadness has gone on for long enough. Maybe your past is too messy or you're way too addicted. And you're looking at your circumstances, you're looking at your storm, and you're just simply saying, man, this is just too big for God. And that's the problem with our faith. It really is. The problem with our faith for many Christians is we think our circumstances are stronger than our God. We think that what we face and what we're walking through and, and the storm and the squall that is raging and pouring down on us is mightier and powerful than our God. Man, if you believe that today, honestly, I pity you because that's not the God I serve. That is not the God I come every Sunday to worship. That's not the God I preach about. Because let me tell you something, let me set the record straight that my God is bigger than any storm or any squall that you will face in life. My God's bigger than a virus that is spreading. My God is bigger than the cancer that you face or the marriage that is broken. My God is bigger than your past or your present or your future because my God can handle any circumstance that you face because he's stronger, mightier, wiser, whatever you need, he is that. And that's the truth. But the question is, in the midst of the storm, how do we get back to that attitude, that swagger, that truth? How do we have that confidence? And I, I think it comes through something really simple. You know, maybe today as a Christ follower, in, in what we're all going through, you might, you might ask, what is my response to all of this? And it's really simple, but it's really hard to live out, especially when the storm rages. And here's what I would challenge all of us to do. All of us to do in, in the unpredictable and the unplanned things in life, here's what I would challenge you to do over and over and over again. It's simply to choose trust over fear. That as Christians, we would decide, not when the storm is here, but before the storm comes, that no matter what God brings in my life, I will trust him. My confidence will be in him. 
because I trust him because I know he knew this was coming. I, I know he's not shocked by it. He's not surprised by it. In fact, he's in control of it. Maybe another way of saying choose trust over fear is just to simply say, have faith. Man, I get that this is a lot easier to say than to live because I've had this battle in, in my life over the last month. Because when my dad died, the last thing I wanted to do was trust God's plan. Like, man, I feel like if, if I could ever talk or teach about a topic, this is my moment because, man, I get the storms in life because I'm walking through them right now. And man, it's not easy. It's one of the most difficult things to do is to, to place your trust in God's plans when you don't like his plans, when you don't agree with them. It's easy to have doubts and uncertainty. It's easy to question God. Like, what? Why would you do this? Like, my dad was a godly man. He loved you. He had more to accomplish for you. But then when you walk through the storm, when you're in the middle of the storm and you start seeing the end of the storm, you realize that God's plans for the storm are so much better than any plans that you could have. And I'm still in the midst of facing and dealing and with my dad's death, but I'm already seeing how God is working through it. Conversation after conversation, and phone call after phone call with people I don't know who call me to tell me how my dad's death is impacting their life. And at some point, you gotta make a decision. No matter what storm you face, God, I'll trust you. I'll trust you. And the reason why we trust God instead of panicking or instead of being afraid is because what fear does is it makes us put our focus solely on us. Like it makes us the most selfish people. When we're afraid, all we think about is our own skin, our own hide, saving it. And I would bet some of you have fallen into that trap, even right now in our circumstances. Because what did everybody do once we heard about this virus? <laughs> I tell you, everybody went to Wegmans or Costco and they bought all the supplies that they could. Man, you can't find toilet paper in all the city of Rochester. I mean, come on, really toilet paper? But what we did is we stacked up on supplies and I actually think that's a really good thing. It's smart, you're, you're prepping, you're planning, but I think your motives are wrong because most of us were prepping and planning because we're afraid. And we get all that stuff so we can take care of ourselves. We, we gather all the food and all the supplies. We put it in our bunker because we want to make it. And I actually think Jesus would have prepped and planned. He would have gathered all those supplies. But I don't think it would have been to save his own skin. I think it would have been to help people. I think it would have been he would have gathered all the supplies to say, hey, if someone's in need, I'll be there for them. And what fear does, the reason why we don't choose fear in situations like this is because it makes us selfish. It makes us think about just us, and that's not what God wants for us. I love what Judah Smith says. He says this. He says, our anxiety does not come from thinking about the future, but rather from wanting to control it. Anxiety doesn't remove tomorrow's suffering. It only removes today's strength. Look what he says. He says, rest in who Jesus is and give all your fears and anxieties what he's simply saying is to choose trust over fear, to have faith. 
faith and trust are so well connected. And here's what trust is, is really trust is confidence. It's confidence in, man, I know who God is. I I know God is love, and I know he is holy, and I know he is sovereign, and he's in control of all things. And what that does is it produces confidence in me. Remember what Hebrews 11, chapter 1 said? It was defining faith, and it said, now faith is confidence. It's amazing how much confidence can change your demeanor. It's amazing what confidence can do for you and I if we have it. Because if I'm confident in who God is, or if I'm confident in my boss at work, or if I'm confident in my spouse, what that does is it actually produces a little bit of like a a swagger in me where I I have this ability to puff my chest out, remaining humble, saying, man, I don't have to worry about anything because I know who I serve and I know who I worship and I know who's in control of the storm. And it gives me a confidence in whatever I face. I would ask you today, you look at the story and you look at both of these responses. You see the disciples panicking and trying to fix and be the solution to the storm. Is that you? Is that you in the midst of this virus and what's going on in our world? Or are you like Jesus, resting in God's capacity and ability in his control. You see, here's the thing about confidence. Confidence doesn't panic. Confidence doesn't worry, it's not afraid, it's not freaking out. But confidence isn't always lazy, it isn't lazy. Confidence depends on something, but yet it still does something. It prepares, but yet trust. Because every action that trust undertakes, it's rooted in the confidence of God. And what we see in Jesus in this story is the ability to rest during the storm. But yet, when he's needed, he wakes, he takes action, fully resting in God's capacity to come through. So I'd ask you to trust instead of fear. Because the truth is, is this storm will soon pass. Might be a year, might be six months, we don't know. But it will probably pass. And then there will be another storm in your life. Maybe it will look like this. Maybe it's a medical test. You go to the doctor. Or maybe it's when someone in your family surprisingly dies. Or maybe it's when your kids go off to college for the first time or you lose a job unexpectedly. Maybe it's a diagnosis that your doctor gives to you that you never wanted. Or maybe it's a bill that comes in the mail that you can't pay. You see, our storms look differently. But I would ask you, in this storm and the next storm, or whatever that storm may be, would you choose to have the confidence to say, God's got this? My trust is fully in him because he is in control. I would choose to trust him rather than panic or fear. And when you do that, what God will build in you is the same thing you see in Jesus. It's unfiltered faith. Will you pray with me? God, I I know right now there are people watching who are worried, are scared, 
They don't know what the future holds. God, I, I know in my own journey, in my own storm, I felt that way. God, right now, I pray that you would comfort all of us knowing that you are sovereign, that you are good, that you take what the enemy means for evil and you turn it to good. And God, may we rest in who you are. May our faith be built on the truth and the, the, the understanding of you are in control and you are good. Help us to rest, God, in the midst of any storm that we face. In Jesus' name, amen.